jump right into it. Uh, lesson number three is, oops, I already had it up there, didn't I? Lesson number three is called the Word of God. And, and kind of the idea is to, to jump right out and, and say, you know, what is the significance of the Word of God? I mean, it, it sounds like, again, one of these not that creative sort of lesson titles. We didn't try to do anything uh, funny or creative or anything. It's just, we're just talking about the Word of God. So we just have to start right off and say, what is the big deal? What is so significant about the Word of God? Well, as we've done with all the lessons, let's look at what the Word of God says uh, about it. And we're going to see uh, that, that maybe there's more to it, or at least hopefully our disciple. We may already know this, likely we do, uh, but it's a good refresher. It's always good to get those reminders uh, to kind of get it fresh on our brains. But certainly we want to make sure if we're discipling someone with this, with this uh, booklet and going through this group of scriptures that we point this out, that, that maybe you'll be surprised at what all the Word of God truly is. Not just that it's God's Word, but what it is, what it provides, what it's good for. Okay, so look at that first uh, scripture text there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Right off the bat, it says, all scripture. So all of this written down, recorded Word of God that we have. All scripture is inspired by God. So there's the simple definition. What's the word of God? It's God's word. Okay, yeah, okay, we got it. All scripture is inspired by God. That's important to know. And profitable. Now, before we talk about the specific things it's profitable for, let's talk about what it means for something to be profitable. What does it mean for something to be profitable? What, what, what are your thoughts? What are your ideas on uh, what, is, what does it mean for anything to be profitable? Yeah, something is, is gained, sure, sure. It's productive. I like that we, that's a good progression to go from, um, w I'm sorry, you said product, no, you said productive. Gain, yeah, something, you gain something and it's productive. Okay, that's good. You gain something and it's productive. So how can it be, how can just the fact that you gain something, how can it then become productive? What does that tell us? If we gain something, and it can be productive, yeah, something is, is, is done, meaning we're implying that the Word of God is useful. It's to be put to use. Profitable, really, when we, when we follow its definition uh, all the way to the end, we find that profitable really means that it's useful, okay? Something profitable means it's useful. It's to be used. You gain something, and it, is, it goes to work for you. you. You put it, I should say, you put it to work. Something that's profitable is something that's useful. A good investment that is profitable, that's useful. Okay, it's not just the, there's no real value to just seeing a statement, like an investment statement, a bank statement, to just see the number getting larger. That means when I retire, there will be something there to use, right? Um, if I sell a vehicle and I make a profit from it, that means there's money there to, to use, right? We, we get it when we talk about money. Well, it's the same way with the Word of God. I gain knowledge from it that is useful and can be productive if I will actually use it, if I will put it to good use. So all Scripture is inspired by God. It is God's Word, and it's important to understand that it's useful. It's profitable. Some translations, I think, actually say useful for these things, okay? Uh, but, but, but this is what it is. It's something that needs, we need to tell our disciple that it is to be put to use. We're going to start here and we're going to end here, basically, talking about this idea. And we'll put stuff in between. 
But this idea, we need to set the tone right off the bat. The Bible is, is useful. You're going to gain something from it that should be put to use. Okay, so keep that in mind as we go along. So it's inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Okay, so inspired by God, of course, means that it's from God. We said that profitable uh, is to be put to use. And the intention then of, of scripture is that it is to be applied to our lives. You see that as the third uh, bullet point there. How do we know that it's meant to be applied to our lives? Yeah, all the things that it says it's useful for, right? This list of things it's useful for, these are all things that it's only going to be useful. It's only going to be profitable. We're only going to gain something. Uh, it's only going to be productive in our lives if, it does, if we do these things, if we use it for these things. And so clearly it's meant to be applied. We have to take it and put it uh, to action or put it into action in our life. So, so for teaching, well, that's not hard to, to explain really what, what teaching is, to, to share that information and, and to explain what it means and how to put it into practice and all that uh, good stuff. But what is, what is reproof? Anybody know what it means um, to, to use the Word of God for reproof? That, that would probably be accurate. Uh, what else? What's another way maybe we might say that? I'll, I'll give you a, a hint. Reproof almost is the definition of, the, like if you just split it into two syllables, you've almost defined what reproof is. Yeah, yeah. So I like that you used proof again because reproof is to re prove something, to prove something again. It is what we talked about this morning. It's the reminders. It's good for reminding you. It's good for proving again, for, for reinforcing, confirming the facts that you know, but continuing uh, to in, ingrain those in our minds so that, so that we're saturated by it, so that we know it really well. And there's never one of these, oh, if you... If you hadn't asked me, I would have known. Um, you know, like, like it, we need this. We need the reproof that the, the scripture can be used for. It's useful for that. Uh, what about correction? We, we know what correction is, but let's flesh it out a little bit. What, what is correction? What, is it, what does it mean for the Bible to correct us? Then, then what? It, it, it show, and what does it mean to be corrected? If we're doing wrong, it shows us how to do right, right? Yeah, it sets us on the right path. When we need to change, uh, when we see we're in error based on a comparison to God's word, it shows us. And, and I know this sounds simple and obvious maybe to you, but it's really important that when you're sitting down with someone and trying to really show them what the word of God is useful for, that you make sure they've got the idea in their head that if they're not doing what the word of God says, whether it's it says to do something and they're not doing it or it says don't do something and they are doing it, that they need to take the word of God and be corrected by it, to be changed the path that they're going in, to be uh, shown what the right way is uh, to do something or the right way to behave or to think or to speak, uh, all that kind of stuff. It sets us on the, the proper path. That is uh, what that correcting uh, does. It's also useful, it's also profitable for training in righteousness. Now, what is training in righteousness? Righteousness. Thoughts? I mean, we know what 
training is. It's going to be a, a, a teaching and a showing how. So it's a practical thing. What is training in righteousness? Yeah, show, but showing how to do what? The, the right living. Yeah, showing how to live rightly, to do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what training in righteousness is. It's a very practical uh, phrase, okay? So, uh, and, and so are the others. Uh, the correction is when we're wrong, showing us right. The reproof is continuing to just kind of put that in our mind and to, to continue to reinforce positively uh, God's truth. Training in righteousness is just teaching you what the Word of God says and how to put it into practice and how to live right. And so this will get down kind of to the nitty gritty sometimes when you say, yeah, I know what it says and what it means, but how do I apply that in my life? Well, that's training in righteousness. We try to do that in our sermons on Sundays. We try to say, you know, you'll hear me ask questions or, or kind of put words in your mouth sometimes. You know, I'm a Christian and, you know, you, you hear me say these things. So that my point is to try to help show us maybe, maybe this one thing I say doesn't apply to you, but maybe it applies to you or you. And we throw things out here to try to show you that, hey, in your actual life, if you're struggling with this, or if you've got a coworker that's constantly badgering you about that, or, you know, we try to bring up real, real life, <laughs> in quotes, real life examples so that we can actually be trained in righteousness. Here's how to behave rightly in life. Like we're training you how to actually live out God's word, okay? So this is important for us to understand. It's important for if we're discipling someone, for them to understand these things. We really want to make sure they get this. All right, let's move on to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 12 uh, and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Familiar passage to probably most or all of us in the room. For the word of God is living and active and sharper, not like a two-edged sword, but sharper than a two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Okay? So right off the bat, we, we, we can see that that first, that first bullet point is pretty clear. The Word of God is, is relevant, first of all. Okay? Uh, that means it's applicable to your life. Now, why is the Word of God relevant? It was written so long ago. Its examples are, are, are really old. Its words are really old. Nothing there has, has changed. So how can it still be relevant? Let me try to give you a hint. Nothing there in the Word of God has changed. How can it still be relevant to mankind? If nothing in the Word of God has changed, how can it still be relevant to mankind? Because not a whole lot has changed with mankind, has it? We put new packages on it. Uh, we stick cell phones in our hands and, you know, voila, we know what century we're talking about now, maybe even the decade. But, but as far as the things we're tempted by, the, the things that we struggle with, um, the things that make Christianity a little hairy and a little difficult to live out in, in real life, the things that, that give us joy and happiness and peace and all these kinds of things, um, they haven't changed, right? And so all we have to do is apply it to where we're living right now because the attitudes, the thoughts, the concerns, the cares, the behaviors, the motivations, all that stuff, none of that has changed. 
It's, it's the same. And so the Word of God is very, very relevant. That is how we can say that it's living and active, right? It's living and active because in the little subtle ways that things have changed, right? Again, not the motives and the, the attitudes and all that, but in the, you know, say the technology, the way we get around, how much we travel, uh, the, the, the amount of reading we're able to do now and, and video, all that, those sorts of things, the Word of God can apply to all that. So it's like it moves with you in those ways that we do kind of move and change a little. But in those, in those ways that we don't change, those big main ways, the Word of God doesn't need to change. And in those little ways, it moves right with us. It's living and it's active and, and it can teach us no matter where we are, what age, what decade, you know, it doesn't matter. Right, and the, the best thing that I can think of is to say it is an antique. <laughs> it is old, sure, you, you got that on us, for sure. But so are your so are your thoughts and your attitudes and your motivations and your temptations and, and point out to them, you know, what people seem to, to struggle with today. Same thing wrapped in a, maybe a different colored package, basically, is the, you know, about all it is. And so, yeah, you'll get that. You'll hear that for sure. And, uh, and I think it's important to sort of uh, say the word of God is old. And isn't it really cool that as old as it is, it is timeless, I mean, we all acknowledge, the, the secular world, everybody acknowledges that some things are just timeless. Everybody loves a good simple insert, you know, whatever. You know, everybody loves this. Everybody likes that. Nobody can turn down a, you know, w there are some things that have stood the test of time and everybody says it. Well, the Word of God is one of those things, but in a way that nothing else has. Uh, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, speaking of being sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, the second bullet point there says that the Word, uh, it cuts, it hurts. Uh, this, is, uh, this is conviction, and the idea that, that it cuts, that it hurts, that it's, it's piercing is, is significant. Um, this is a very, the, the Word here uh, indicates a, a significant Slicing and, and more than just an abrasion, more than just a uh, a, a little cut. This is uh, this is a really significant wound. It cuts deep, sharp, quick, uh, maybe even violently. Uh, but but it's it's describing conviction when something pierces us to the heart, right? Uh, the Bible will use phrases like that, and so will we. You know, boy, that cuts deep. You know, we'll, we'll say things like that. It's in song lyrics. We know that this is talking about conviction, right? It, it really hits us, and that's the way the Word of God is, and, and we need to make sure that, that we know, and again, our student knows if we're working with somebody, that this means, this tells us, the fact that it's living and active, and the fact that it cuts, that it creates conviction. We need to realize that something in the Word of God depending on what you're going through, your station in life, where you are and you're seeking God and all that, something is going to hit home. Every time you read the Bible, if you'll read it really seeking God and you'll read it uh, looking for truth and for application to allow it to, to uh, do the training in righteousness and the reproof and the correction and uh, the teaching, if you'll allow it to do all that, something's going to hit. Something's going to hit with you. Something's going to convict you. And here's what you need to think about and what you definitely need to actually point out with your words to your disciple is that you need to decide right now up front what you're going to do with that information. When something hits, when something cuts, when something convicts and it hurts and it says, hey, look, 
No wonder you're having such a struggle. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Uh, you're, not, you're not even genuine about that. You know, whatever. Sometimes it, it really hurts. You need to decide up front what you're going to do with that, what you're going to do about that. And hopefully it's that you're going to choose the right way, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19 is mentioned there. And uh, I'd actually, I better read that. Um, because that's where uh, God, is, he sets forth life and death, basically. He says, you know, choose life, and that's obeying his commands, his law, his statutes, and, and all that good stuff. Talking about the word of God. Obey my word, and you'll have life. Uh, you know, with heaven and earth as his witness, he says. Choose to not obey choose to go your own way, live selfishly and all that. And, you know, as sure as anything, you will, you will be destroyed. You will experience punishment. So look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 through 19. Uh, the Lord says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Ethan's talked a little bit about that in some of our classes, about how those are your options. You can have life, and along with that comes prosperity, or you can have death along comes, uh, with that comes the adversity, the chaos, the, the, the curse rather than the blessing, right? Ethan's talked about that. Verse 16, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God. There's the word of God. He's telling you that. It's a command. To walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But... If your heart turns away and will not obey, obey what? His word, right? What, what he said, his commandments, his judgments, his statutes. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the, the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, here's the options, life and death the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So what are you going to do with the word of God when it, when it cuts, when it hurts, when it convicts? Are you going to choose life? Or are you going to choose death? Those are the options. Uh, we should welcome, we should be looking for conviction. That, that last bullet point under this passage says we should welcome the conviction. Its purpose is to remove sin. Right? If we obey the word of God, we will uh, escape the, the, um, the, the punishment, the curse that, that comes with sin. We'll escape that. The, the ultimate end is sins being washed away and sins being uh, taken away and stay away and no longer be uh, part of us, no longer be what God sees when he looks at us because he will actually take the sin away when we trust him, when we obey his word. So that's the ultimate end, but, but not if we're just convicted and we turn from it or we're convicted and we're offended by it. We need to welcome conviction. And, and man, Put that as a positive thing in the mind of any student, any disciple that you're working with in this book. That, that that's a good thing. Like Welcome conviction because it just keeps putting you uh, tighter and tighter and tighter, closer to God, on a, an even straighter and more narrow path. It gets you going in the direction you need to do. You're just tightening up your walk with the Lord the more you're convicted and the more you respond to that conviction and choose to obey him and, and say, man, this is going to be hard but I'm also not, I'm not going to not do it. It's going to be hard. I'm going to do it. 
Okay, tell your student that and and we all need to make sure that we see it that way uh, as well. Keep his word and live. Uh, Disobey it, turn away from it, ignore it, uh, suppress that conviction and you will surely perish, the Bible says. Now look at the next passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So scripture, word of God we're talking about here. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So two very simple things here that we want to make sure we point out. There is no private interpretation of the Bible. And scripture was written with clear and specific intentions. So none of the ideas that that we get in the Bible are something that, you know, well, it means this to you, and it means that to you, and and this church sees it this way, and this church, okay, that church may see it that way, but the point is, God had intentions when he inspired this to be written. God had a lesson to teach when he said, record this. So that, so that future generations can read about it and learn from it, right? God had intentions, lessons, teaching that he meant for us, clear teaching that he meant for us to receive. And there may be multiple things you can learn from any given passage, but he had a goal as he teaches. And there's not a, does it mean this or does it actually uh, go in this other direction that is not even in harmony with, with this interpretation, God sent all of this. God inspired all of this, and he had a reason, a purpose for doing it. He was making a point. There's a lesson to learn. Uh, We need to look for God's intentions, not our own. The word came from God, so let's, let's make sure we're looking for what God's saying, not what we wanted to say, not what someone else said it says, but let's make sure we on our own are honestly looking into the word of God for what it is, the word of God. So what did God want us to see? What did God intend to say here, okay? That's what we want to make sure uh, we're seeing and, and looking for. Uh, and, and then there, there's the, the very on the surface point, if it's from God, uh, these are not the ideas of men that we're reading either. So if you've got someone, you know, that's like, well, you know, the Bible's just written by men, you know, well, no, this, this tells us, I mean, we already started with all scriptures inspired by God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this passage says, uh, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Uh, none of it was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So they spoke from God. They wrote from God. So these are not the ideas of men, but of God, uh, the being who created mankind. Okay, so that's, that's something that everyone needs to know uh, about the word of God. Next look at John 8. John chapter 8 verse 31 and 32 says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Okay, so we've got people who already believed him. Um, People who, we've already covered this scripture to some degree, uh, maybe a few more verses than this, but we talked about this where Jesus has this group of people. uh, There was a little chaos, a little unrest, and then some of the Jews, though, believed him. And it says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue, if you continue in my word, okay, so keep going, continue, and in what? You know, keep following your heart, right? No, if you continue in my word. Guess every single word here matters. If you continue in my word, we gotta continue in God's word. Then you are truly disciples of mine. That's a big statement. If you wanna be a true. So he said, you guys believe in me? Great. He's talking to people who believe in him, it says. That's wonderful. But to truly be a disciple of Jesus, he says, 
you must continue in his word. And then verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So look at the bullet points there. It's not enough to simply believe in God. Okay, we talked about that this morning a little bit, didn't we? It's not enough to just believe in God. We have to know what he said, okay? Because he, he, everybody knows God exists. Many people suppress it. The Bible tells us that. Romans tells us that. All kinds of stuff. You know, uh, I, I'm like Kendall Fall. I'm an a-atheist. I don't believe there are any atheists. Everyone knows that there is a God. That's great. That's fine and, and good. But God has spoken to us. God has communicated to us. And we need to uh, be interested in that. We need to seek that, look for what he has said, and then we need to continue in it. We need to put it into practice, and we need to trust and rely on his word. And then, uh, with that being said, we can't rely on our feelings. <laughs> we, need to, we need the word of God. Remember, he said, if you continue in not just any old thing, not just what feels good or feels right, but uh, in his word. Continue in uh, the word of God, and the truth will set us free if we do that as well. And then the third bullet point there says true followers of Christ must hold on to and follow the teachings of Christ. That's not hard to see from this passage, right? He says, you're going to have to continue in my word, okay? You believe in me? Wonderful. You're going to need to continue in my word. Keep at it. Uh, practice, diligence, all these things. Perseverance is all included in here. Uh, but, but that's, again, very much on the surface there. The true followers of Christ are going to have to hold on to and follow the teachings of Christ. And then uh, sincerity doesn't equal truth. Because believing Jesus was sincere, right? There were many people around them that day who didn't believe, who, who were um, testing the Lord and were not, um, were not genuine. These people were genuine. They were sincere. They heard enough to say, well, hold on a second. You know, these, these Jews actually believed what Jesus was saying. They were sincere. But Jesus said, he didn't say the words, that's not enough. But he showed us that's not enough not enough to just be sincere. You, you're going to need to continue in my word. Then you'll be a true disciple of mine. Then you'll know the truth. And the truth is what's going to set you free. All right. So very important things, uh, again, for us to know and, and do not skip over this kind of stuff when you're talking with someone, when you've got someone one-on-one -on -one or a few of you at a table talking about these things, trying to disciple someone. Now we move into something that's really important to start pointing out, uh, my goodness, with um, 21st century uh, Americans, which is going to be the bulk of who you'd be sharing this book with, right? Um, traditions and God's Word. Or maybe we should say more appropriately, traditions versus God's Word. Because in our own, the, the Christian church today, the, the undenominational Christian church today, the church that belongs to Christ and is not part of any denomination, unaffiliated with any uh, world headquarters or any of that kind of stuff. Us, the brotherhood, wherever you want to identify it. In our churches today, you can go somewhere. If you've spent much time here at Liberty, probably, because, you know, we try real hard to kind of tear down tradition not not for the sake of you know we're not like these super crazy wild progressives that are just like you know let's just make it not even feel like church but i'm saying we're like you know you know if that's not really a a, a church thing let's just kind of strip that away and, and we really focus on the meat and potatoes and what what matters you can go into some of our churches and for me anyway i'm just overwhelmed almost with like the smell of plastic 
<laughs> like it's just, it's really fake feeling. There's a lot of traditions and a lot of, I'm visiting a church, I'm like, why are we doing this? What, what, what are they doing right now? Oh, well, every other Sunday, we pick somebody to come up front. What? Like, like there's weird things that churches do, but, but those are just the weird things. I'm kind of being funny. There's other groups that you're going to be talking to people who may be part of one of these groups or may have a, a parent or a grandparent or a friend, a coworker, somebody who's part of one of these groups who now we're talking about like matters of, 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 of the faith, right? Tenets of the faith they believe, but they're actually just traditions that their denomination or their group or, you know, maybe even cult has, uh, has come up with and has taught. Um, you know, I had a conversation with somebody here this morning uh, about some of these kinds of really wild uh, beliefs and thoughts and things that, that this person said, you know, so I explained, well, do you know what the Bible says about that? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that. Well, actually, I mean, if you look in this passage, he gave him book, chapter, and verse, it says it. It says that? Is, was the response. So it's important to really uh, point out uh, what, what comes up right here. Spend a little time on this, marinating, you know, understanding this for yourself. And really, if you're sitting with somebody teaching, make sure you share this uh, information with them because the traditions are thick. They are deep in this country and probably across the, the world. But look at this passage now, Matthew chapter 15, verses one through nine. It says, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They didn't say word of God. They said, why, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, now, this is not a bad idea. It's good to wash your hands before you eat. <laughs> Verse three, and he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves, that's Jesus answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God? You see how he, he showed, he pointed out the contrast. He, they said, why do your disciples, Jesus, why, why do they break the tradition of the elders? And he said, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And so Jesus, ooh, he's pointing out you don't just have traditions ingrained in, in your uh, belief system, but you transgress God's word for the sake of your tradition. Your traditions break God's word, break the commandments of the Lord. This is a big deal. For God said, Jesus says here in verse four, for God said, honor your father and mother. So there's a command he points out. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. So there's a, another a truth that God's word has to say. Jesus points out to them. Verse five, he says, but you say, whoever says to his father and mother, so this is their tradition. Whoever says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would have been given to God, he is not, he is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. We'll explain that in just a second. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you this people honors me with their lips, okay, so their words, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So what he's pointing out when he says, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. And then they say that person who does that, who says that doesn't need to honor his father and mother what he's referring to is Corbin. 
some of you will know what Corbin is, and uh, Ethan has mentioned it. It, it came up in, in uh, I think, the Malachi class at, at some point to some degree. But Corbin was this teaching that, so, so they didn't have secu Social Security, and they didn't have retirement homes and all that stuff to try to help take care of people. There wasn't government um, whether you want to call it interference or government involvement in this, uh, there was none of that. And so it was very much 100% expected that the children or the oldest son was going to take care of these parents as they're aging and, and honor them in that way. They were supposed to. These were not supposed to be years where you, you laid in the gutter or fell down, broke a hip and laid there and died. You were supposed to be taken care of, but it was by the children. Now what the elders uh, tradition was something they called Corbin. And Corbin was this idea that you could essentially uh, assign a value to what it would cost for you to take care of mom or dad, mom and dad, whatever, for this certain period of time. And then you could write that check to the temple. And then you don't have to actually spend the money to buy some food at the market, buy some supplies, uh, keep the farm going, whatever. Do the work of bringing it over, preparing the meal. You didn't have to spend the money and do the work. You just wrote the check to the, the temple and said, I'm good now. <laughs> I guess you got to write another check. Got to write another check. Uh, yeah, maybe they do like a reassessment at some point in time. I haven't studied it that far. I don't know how they handle that. <laughs> got to make some adjustments. But, but the idea was to get out of any of the work, the effort of taking care of, of your parent and still be righteous. In the sight of who? I guess. Not God, right? Not righteous and like because God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father and mother is to be put to death, right? And that word honor uh, means to, um, to honor appropriately, to respond. It actually is, is a word that, that refers to, a, um, it involves assessing value to some degree. Now, it's not put a value on your parents, but it is, um, it, it leaves room for, if your parents are like, these most horrible, terrible, uh, they left you um, as, a, as a child and never cared for you and you're lucky you're alive, you don't need to, to, to be righteous in God's sight, go and find them and fix everything and love them like they didn't abuse you and mistreat you. It, it, it means your father and mother were a father and mother. They took care of you. They provided for you. Maybe not perfect, Maybe, maybe let you down a time or two in, in your sight, your opinion, whatever. Honor them. They, they birthed you. They raised you. Honor them. But certainly, if they're, if they're good for nothing, you don't, to honor God, have to go and uh, go and just grovel and fall at their feet and be like, well, you're my father and mother. God said I've got... No, no, no. That, that word honor uh, is more than, than just a commandment. You know, black and white, you got to go and just basically worship the people. That's not the case. There, there is room for that. But they took this. They took this and said, I am honoring by writing the check to the temple. Who was getting served there? I mean, the people were who were writing the checks, uh, of course, in some way, because they were getting to say, I'm righteous. I, I did the righteous thing. But yeah, the, the temple workers, uh, they were the ones who were really reaping the benefits. They didn't have to, to work and help any of these parents. And they just got the checks that would have helped them were coming to the temple and, and they were getting the money. And so Jesus is like, 
I mean, he doesn't say these words. He's a lot more calm and cool. But essentially, you have the nerve to ask me why my disciples don't wash their hands. Not a commandment from God, just a tradition of your elders who also break the commandments of God uh, in, a, in a, just a, a gross, uh, shameful way. Write checks so they don't have to take care of their parents to you, temple workers. You know, Jesus is like, your traditions and the word of God way out of whack here. And how do we apply this to us today? Well, my goodness, look at all the traditions. Do you, and, and you can, when you're talking to somebody, you know, what kind of traditions are you aware of? You know, maybe some of those things we went over at the very beginning of this class when we, we wrote down a list of, you know, things that we believe Christians should be, should be doing. Were some of them not in the Bible? Were some of them things that, you know, were, were written on the wall in second grade in our public school and somewhere along the line we thought it was scripture? Somebody quoted it enough, that they said it enough, or we went to a, a, a Christian school and it got said enough that we thought it must be in the Bible. You know, we got to actually identify what's God's word and what's tradition, okay? Um, let's look at the bullet points here. You cannot follow traditions or creeds instead of or in addition to the word of God. Uh, you, you can be religious and still miss out on the relationship that comes through following Christ. Um, that's kind of in line with what we talked about this morning as far as you can kind of be part of the group. You can be uh, religious. You can come to the church and people think you're part of the church and all that good stuff, but not have a relationship with God because you feel righteous, and, and you serve and give and do things that, that, that make the, the, the preacher happy and make all the brothers and sisters here happy. And so we're thinking you're part of the fold, but you don't have a relationship with God. It's all kind of show. It's all kind of just acts and works and traditions, things uh, of that nature. Jesus said that those who follow such traditions are guilty of the following. There's a list here. They, they nullify the word of God, first of all. That's, that's what those uh, elders' traditions were doing. They're hypocrites. Uh, they say one thing, they do something else. Many times, traditions, you can't really fully just jump in two feet deep into these traditions or you're, you're out of harmony, out of step with God's word uh, somewhere along the line. Right, And we, we could flesh that out and you may want to do that when you're talking with somebody. Kind of bring up some, some traditions that, you know, if you want to sort of dabble in it, you know, that's one thing. You shouldn't, but you, that's one thing. And then you go too far though and you see that this tradition, if I really embrace this tradition, I can't keep God's word. Like, because God doesn't want me to do this. God didn't say to do this. So I can't go full in on this or I'm doing something God's never told me to do. All right. Uh, they also honor a God with their lips, uh, only with their lips, which is referring to words or your speech. And their heart is far from God. Uh, when you're um, knee deep in traditions, it's not hard to see how far you are from God. And their worship then is in vain. That, that's the effect of all this. And what does it mean for something to be in vain? It means for it to be worthless. That, that's not overstating it. That's not exaggerating. Uh, if something is in vain, it, it's worthless. And so it is true what it says there. You may as well not do it at all. Look at 1 Timothy 4.16 there. It says, uh, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. This is Paul writing to the evangelist Timothy. Uh, but it, it applies to, to us as well. We need to be careful of these things. Pay close attention to yourself Okay, so your life and your teaching, what you're, what you're promoting, what you're uh, saying and, and sharing with people. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So 
Obviously, we need to watch our life and our doctrine, uh, what we believe, uh, what we believe we've been taught and are teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine closely, and the two, can't, uh, the two uh, cannot be separated. They are inseparable. Um, what you believe needs to be what you do, and what you do needs to be because you actually believe it. And because it came from the word of God, right? Uh, it says there in the second bullet point, it does no good to live right if you believe wrong. Okay? It doesn't do any good to, to think that you live right, to, to, to live in a, a way that you think is moral. And I'm being pretty good. I help people and I make sacrifices for people, but you haven't studied the word of God. You, you don't know what all you're missing in your life as far, I don't mean like, you know, life could be so much better. I mean, you don't know what you're missing, like what's lacking in your life. Because you haven't read about it. You haven't studied it. You haven't tried to put it into practice. So it doesn't do any good to try to, try to just be a really good, moral, living kind of person if you believe wrong, if you've got wrong doctrine. Likewise, it does no good. Uh, to, I think there's a typo there. It does no good to believe right if you live wrong. It does no good to believe right if you live wrong. Uh, this is what, uh, I don't mean to, to condemn us or, or judge us unrightly. Un I think it's useful to point this out. I think this is kind of where uh, our church, the, the Lord's church, the, his true church, I think this is where sometimes if we're going to fail in one of these, I think this is the direction we fail in. I don't think there are a ton of, of our group of people who are trying to live by the Bible, okay, just by definition, you, we, you can kind of see that. We aren't the ones that fall into the camp necessarily as often as those who are trying to just be really uh, good people, but we don't know what the Bible says. Okay, I'm not saying there's not a lack of Bible knowledge. I, I, I accept that. I recognize that. But I think sometimes, though, we see that, boy, some of the scholars among us, their, their life just isn't quite there. They're not very generous. They don't make a lot of sacrifices. They, 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 they don't uh, put themselves down here and, and do something equivalent to, to washing someone's feet. Like, they won't follow that example uh, of Christ because, you know, they believe all these things. They've got all the right doctrine and they just need to be out there teaching it and teaching it and teaching it and sharing it and believing it and studying it. And then we kind of lose. We become these lifelong students, which being a student of the Bible is great, but we, we, we pour ourselves so far into study that it's like the only thing we're willing to do and we're kind of scared to go and actually uh, put it into to practice, to, to jump out there and, and do what we've read. Um, kind of a, a similar thing, or I would say, are a lot of like economics professors, business professors in the college world. They've been teaching business all their life. They've been teaching economics all their life. And if you put them in, you would think I could just take them, insert them in any Fortune 500 company, and pew, there it goes. But it might go because it's all theory to them. It's all facts. They can recite what this, the definition of this term and this phrase, what, what it is and, and how supply and demand and all these things work. But they've never actually worked any of it. That's some, I think that's the, the direction we go sometimes when, we, when we're in one of these camps. I think we, we fall into that sometimes. And it's important to make sure we don't do either, uh, either one. And, and we need to point out to people when it comes to this life and doctrine and how you can't separate the two. Uh, if you don't know what the Bible says about something, just don't do it. 
Tell, tell your disciple that, you know, just to be sure, like if we're going to clean up this tradition problem that, that we have in our church today, how about if you don't know whether you should or should not be doing it according to God's word for now, just don't do it, right? You're, you're visiting, you know, maybe your disciple starts coming to church with you for a little while. They haven't studied the Lord's Supper. They don't know for sure that the Lord's Supper needs to be taken on the first day of the week or why it needs to be taken or anything like that or who is, needs to be taking it. Don't, just don't do it. Don't know why we give to the church. Don't know why we take up a, a, a collection, why we take up uh, the, the tithe and offerings. Don't know why we do it. Don't do it. Don't participate in it. But also, don't stay ignorant of it. Okay? If you don't know it, don't do it. If you don't know it from God's word, don't do it. But don't stay ignorant of it. Learn it. Get out of the traditions and get into God's word. Don't just pull yourself out and say, like, well, I think that's just a tradition. No, identify that it's a tradition because it's not in God's word and then identify what you need to actually be doing, which is what God's word says to do, okay? Uh, next passage here, Acts chapter 17, 10 through 12. says, the brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek men and women. So the couple surface level points are, are our bullet points there. We need to check what religious leaders say. If we're going to make sure we're not following traditions and we're going to make sure we're relying on God's word, knowing what it says, continuing in his word so, that, so we know the truth and the truth will set us free. All these things we've talked about so far, here's a practical example of somebody doing it. And, and what does it say uh, about these people? It says they were more noble minded, right? The Bible commends these people who were checking what religious leaders were saying. Okay, if you would check what the word of God says, you would not be following this Corbin law we were talking about before, right? If you were checking and, and concerned about what God's word says and practicing his word, you wouldn't be um, harping on somebody who didn't wash their hands before they ate like it was some sort of uh, tradition or something like that, right? That, that, that wouldn't be the case. And so here's a practical example of somebody studying God's word studying it, and they did it daily, and they even did it while Paul was preaching, right? I mean, maybe, I don't know if they had the scroll out literally in the moment while he was speaking, but it says they had Paul there preaching. They, they had a guest speaker. Paul kind of had to fly out of Thessalonica, and here he is in Berea, and they received the word with great eagerness, but they were searching the scriptures every day to make sure that what they were hearing was actually what? Traditions or God's word? Yeah, yeah. Making sure that it was God's word, that it was the truth of God's word, not traditions, not someone's opinion, not someone's interpretation, but God's word. Because I can, I can preach something to you and I can give you the examples that I came up with, the way that I think maybe we could think about it and apply it in this way or that way, but it's up to you to, to see the scriptures, to look in your Bible, to go home and study it and say, does what Jake said, do, do the examples he used and the point that he said it all means and how we would apply it to our lives, does that actually line up with what the Bible says? Because I present to you 
from the Word of God, and I do my 105%, 110% best to make sure that it's from the Word of God and that it is in a way that I make it, you know, understandable as to how you can walk out of here and put it into practice. But you've got to read your Bible, not just daily on your own to study and read and all that good stuff, but you've got to do it to actually check me to make sure that I'm telling you the truth. Not because you necessarily want to say like, well, if I need to call Jake on this, if I need, if I need to you know, grab him by the scruff of his neck and you know, give him a talk or two, not necessarily just for that, but so that you, your own spiritual walk is on the right path. You're the one that first of all, you need to be concerned about. You need to make sure you're walking in the right path uh, first of all, before uh, you start worrying about um, me and my walk. Okay, that's the next step. Next step is you need to come to me and we need to talk and you need to explain to me where I went wrong, what I said wrong. But first of all, you need to free your own self. Make sure that you receive the word with eagerness, but then study it. Okay, now we also see the example that they studied their Bibles daily. Uh, this demonstrates a, a commitment to doctrine, to, to accuracy, uh, to diligence in handling the Word of God. So uh, that's, a, that's a great example to be in the Word of God daily. Again, we said it, I think, I think it was last week, you know, we said that sporadic uh, study of God's Word, sporadic uh, looking into what God's Word says produces sporadic Christianity, actual sporadic living. Uh, if we consistently study God's word, we have a consistent Christian walk. We always know what to do, the right thing to do in a given situation, and that right thing is based on God's word, not our feelings in the moment. All right? Now, we said we started with this idea of understanding the word of God is, is useful, this to be put into practice, okay? And that we need to be prepared to do something when we're convicted. Well, here's another passage about being prepared to do something. James 1, 22 through 25 says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. Listen to this picture. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, so this is not a metaphor. I, well, it, it is. But when he says natural face, he's trying to point out uh, this is not some metaphor when I say your face. I mean your actual face. It's like the man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's a weird picture, right? It would be weird to, to look in the mirror and forget what kind of person you were. Male, female, good, bad, Handsome, ugly, got, got a little cowlick, bedhead or not, you know, like it would be weird to just walk away and, and have no idea. Now, I know some of us do that every once in a while. We're like, did I fix my hair yet? <laughs> you know, did I brush my teeth? You know, like I know we do that, but I'm, it, this is talking on a, on a deeper level. To, to look in the mirror and if you're not looking, you don't even know. Or, or you look and you don't do anything about it, right? Okay, so that would be weird. Verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, okay, this is talking about God's word, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, okay, that picture of the mirror would be a forgetful hearer, but instead he wants us to be an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So first of all, we want to point out, we want to understand, we want any student we're working with to understand that the word of God is a mirror, a spiritual mirror. We're supposed to, to look into the Word of God. And then what, what do we do when we look in a mirror? Uh, let's say uh, first thing in the morning. What is the mirror useful for in the morning? 
to see imperfections, see, see what got out of place while we were rolling around on the pillow, something like that. Or, or maybe it's not in the morning. Maybe it's coming in from, from working out in the yard or just going to the grocery store. You know, oh my goodness, were my bangs like this the whole time I was at Kroger? You know, <laughs> yeah, Dad, Josh, Matthew. <laughs> They're all back there touching their foreheads right now. No. <laughs> um, anyway, where was I? The mirror, we look at it, and if we see that something needs to be fixed, changed, adjusted, we don't want to go, man, look at that. Oh. And just walk away and literally forget not only what we saw, but to do something about it. We need to look at the, the Word of God like a mirror and to adjust. When we see, when we look at it, and it shows us either what is right, you know, ooh, good hair day today, right? Whether it shows us that something is right, keep it up, keep that in line, or it shows us something is wrong, fix it, Make, do something about it, right? It would, it would be weird to walk away. It would be illogical to, to place your, your faith in the Word of God. To, to, to say, I'm going to trust, I'm going to seek God through his word. Uh, I believe that the truth is so valuable and that God's word is the truth and that it's the final authority and that I don't want to follow traditions and creeds and man-made dogmas and things like that. It would be weird to see something that you're not doing or you should do. Like God's word tells us, be this kind of person. Have this attitude about you. Adopt this mindset, that kind of stuff, and then just not do it. Right, right. I mean, I know we all do it, so we're like, sounds about normal, right? We, we, we think it sounds kind of normal, but it's illogical. Unfortunately, this illogical mindset, this insanity has become very normal. But it is illogical to look at something that we say, this is the ultimate authority that I'm going to live my life by. And it's say, okay, then go and do this. <laughs> Here's this example, go and do likewise. And be like, I'll come back to that. You know, when you know I'm not going to come back to that, right? That, that's illogical. We need to use the word of God like a mirror. Uh, don't forget what you see. Act upon what you read in God's word. And then the last passage, James, what's that? Oh, yes, it should. Um, fix that in, in, your, in your Bibles, or in your Bibles, in your book. No, no your Bible is right. The book is wrong. <laughs> Woo, let's not get that. Man, we, we just, we'll just undo this whole word of God lesson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, John, the, yeah, the, the verse, the, 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 yeah, the chapter and verse are correct, but that should say John. So fix that in any book that's in your hand right now. Uh, if you're looking at page six, and you should be, uh, that last passage, uh, make that say John, not James. All right? Had James on the brain, I guess. John 12, 48. He who rejects me, this is Jesus speaking, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. Well, what or who would that be? The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. So, a a as we wrap up our study, we, we say, why study the Bible? Why study God's word here? Because it's his word that's going to judge us. What he said, what he shared, what he's recorded for us, that's going to judge us in the last day. So, this doesn't have to be a negative thing. Okay, this, could, this should be a positive thing. Like, um, you know, when you get the information you need the, the, to avoid some sort of negative consequences, you know, um, you know, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm gonna do about, about this or about that. And someone says, oh, oh, hey, don't worry about that. All you need to do is, 
Or, or hey, you come over uh, Tuesday, or when we're together on Wednesday, I'll bring you this or that. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. The Bible is that thing that needs to be brought to us and we need to get the answers from. Okay, just because we're gonna be judged by it doesn't mean we gotta go, oh no, the house is on fire, my hair, what am I gonna do? No, look at it as a positive thing. We got the word of God. We have what we're gonna be judged by. We've got the answers. We've got the uh, expectations from God. They're all in this book. They're, they've all been recorded for us. Whatever we need to know to make sure we're on the right side of things when, when the judgment comes, we got the answer book. We've got the study guide. We've got the instruction manual, whatever you want to call it. Uh, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, I think some people say. Uh, we've got it right here. And so make it a positive thing to say, you know, how silly would it be if we had all this and we, we, we didn't do it? We, we, we didn't study for the test. We didn't prepare ourselves, make ourselves ready. There's a lot of parables or there's some parables uh, uh, about that, about being ready, right? Being prepared. How do you know how to be prepared? It's right there. It's in the book, okay? Um, and again, we can't live by feelings, traditions, uh, another typo, that should say creeds. Uh, boy, I was struggling with this lesson. We can't live by feelings, traditions, or creeds, but by the concrete, immovable word of God. It is, we see from this passage and, and others, but we can see it just from this passage alone. It's the final, the God, God's word. It's the final uh, authority, the ultimate authority, because it's gonna judge us. It's going to determine whether we, we cut the mustard or not. <laughs> it's gonna determine if we're a sheep or a goat on the right side or the left side, uh, with God, without God, life or death, um, blessing or curse. It's the, the, the difference maker. So it has, therefore, ultimate final authority. Not thoughts, not feelings, not traditions. And, and step lightly, be careful, be sensitive. Make it clear, though, but do explain uh, in, a, in an understanding way that if you know the person that you're, you're talking with, you got this book and you're, you're working with somebody, you know that they're struggling because they had a, a mom who believed this way or they had a, a grandfather that, was, that believed this or they had a best friend or, or somebody they, they worked with or served in some way with, you know, explain it carefully, gently, but, but make the point in some way. Don't, don't sidestep it, but, but be gentle about it. Be understanding about it, but, but explain to them. Make sure they understand that if God's word is the final ultimate authority, that means the traditions and creeds and opinions and, and clever sayings and things that this church does and that church does because it's just what this church and that church does. Those things don't have authority. Those things are vain, which the definition is worthless. But the Bible, again, let's end on a positive note. The Bible is everything we need to know. It's God's word. It, it provides value. Uh, it can be productive in our lives if we'll put it to use. Read God's word. It'll convict you. It's like a mirror. It'll show you what you really look like to God and become what God wants. Become the image of his son. Fix yourself in the mirror to look like God's son. And the Bible tells you exactly how to do that.